You are listening to the Photobomb Podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb Podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Man, what a weekend! What a weekend I had. All right. Before I go off, anything you want to tell me about your weekend? <laughs> that seems odd. <laughs> well, I just feel like my weekend is going to take up a lot of air. And I thought that maybe I'd give you... I have I have things. There's always things, but nothing, nothing vital. First of all, before we start, I want to say I love that shirt. Oh, thank you. I bought this at the Goodwill. It looks like the cover of Money for Nothing by Dire Straits is what it looks like. Okay. I want my... With the steel guitar floating on top of it, that's exactly what it looks like. It just kind of looks like it's cloud-like. It's got fish on it. It's Eddie Bauer. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Goodwill, huh? Yeah, I do like a Goodwill find. My daughters, man. Oh, my daughter, especially my youngest, she just loves... Nothing she loves more than thrifting. And so she... And what she really loves is to buy t-shirts and sweatshirts from places she's never been. So, like, she's walking around the house in a today in a t-shirt that says Grand Canyon. She's never been there. And she's, I don't know if she, she loves that. My friends and I used to go thrifting for clothes when I was a teenager. And we'd hit Goodwill, Salvation Army. And I, I, in my group of friends, I was legitimately the only one that actually had to shop there. Right. <laughs> but, but we found this. We stumbled upon this very strange phenomenon. It was a very strange phenomenon at the time. We had no idea how to explain it. But they were solid colored soft cotton shirts with white raised lettering on them almost like iron-on letters and they would say very strange slogans on them and we would find these peppered in at thrift shops at goodwills all over where we lived and it became a game who could find these shirts and we didn't know what they were for or who made them they just said weird things like one of them said uh in it was a white shirt with red letters big like the big old school but like kind of raised up iron on letters and it said kicking it old school and it just said that it's just red letters on a white shirt i had one uh uh, let's see my uh my friend had one that said i walked on fire and it just that's all it said (laughs) my buddy josh had one that said i found the afikoman or the afikoman which is like i think it's the the bread that loaf of bread that you hide on the passover okay so this sounds to me like these were t-shirts that were given out as prizes at some sort of a sleepaway Jewish camp. It's got to be something like that, right? Right. But except they were just scattered all over the place. And now here's the funny part. Here's the crazy part. After several years of this, and all of us had shirts like this in different colors with different phrases, but the font was always the same. Right. And the things that they said just were strange. And every time we found one, we of course, we didn't have texting back then. But we got so excited when we get together and one of us would get out of our car and have a new one on. And we'd be like, yeah, we'd be so excited that we found one. I, it has to be. It has to be what I said. It has to be in some sort of an event or something where they had to make shirts as prizes. But it was like because we lived in South Florida on the East Coast. And so it would be like we'd find one in West Palm and we'd find like they may maybe like a bar mitzvah door prize. Yeah, but walking on fire. You know. It said, I walked on fire, I found the Afikoman, and uh, kicking it old school. There were a bunch of them, and they were just... Some sort of an outward-bound Orthodox Jew event where they went out and they were on the rope bridges and walking on fire and then also having a Seder. 
and then you would get oh nice <laughs> you would, yeah. and then you would you would get these prizes you would get these t-shirts you know shot at you uh from a cannon a kosher yeah. cannon yeah, it's a kosher, very kosher cannon. Yeah, I have no idea where they came from. We never discovered the mystery. All, all I can imagine is there's some local party DJ entertainment company that has buckets full of these right. things, and they just toss them out at mitzvahs. I, I, I don't, don't know. know. But we just found them incredibly funny, and we just, ironically, and we just loved them, but we wore them all the time. And if you could find a really goofy one, it was just a badge of honor, and we wore them all the time. And so it was a, probably a couple of years after this started, we were in the mall when people went to malls and I was probably about 17 or 18 and me and my friends were walking and a couple of us are wearing these shirts because we just wore them every chance we got. And we walked by Abercrombie and Fitch store, which was new in our mall. Cause our mall was kind of one of those malls that was like not worthy of an Abercrombie and Fitch. You know, we had, right. we barely had a Spencer's gifts and we walked by and there in the Abercrombie and Fitch, they had these shirts, but they're like replicas of them, like how they would, recreate old touring t-shirts from bands and you can buy those at target right you know how target will give you those rec it was a so it didn't have raised letters it was all printed onto the shirt like they had become somehow somewhere popular enough where abercrombie and fitch were like let's make a copy of these and kids will like them but the whole thing that was cool about them is we found them by accident in thrift stores but then you started seeing them all over the place well, I really want to know where it came from now. I want to know the backstory on this. If there's any bombardier out there who has any idea what the heck I'm talking about, please immediately send us an email to questions at photobombpodcast.com. I have no idea. I actually have a photo of myself in one of these shirts somewhere that I'll that I'll dig up. But like this was like one of our favorite things as kids. And I have no idea what happened to him. But there, there's my thrifting story. So, yes. We like, uh, and I also got a pretty rocking cashmere sweater at the local w well, Winter Park Goodwill not too long ago. I just right. want to point that out, right. which is a good time of year to go shopping for winter clothing is like June in Florida. Like, don't forget, that's when, they, that's when they've got all that left over. So I have a mystery for you to solve. This right. is something that happened this weekend. I was going to say, are we, are we going to now find out about the, 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 the packed weekend? Okay, I'll leave the mystery till the end because that's going to make everything else seem so much more, you know, intense. Okay. So... My little girl, my three-year-old, my middle child, Josephine, Jojo, she uh, has a bad left eye. She's got an astigmatism, as it turns out. And you have three girls, by the way. Set the record straight. There's Ellie, there's Josie, and then there's, uh, there's Mo. Scarlet. Mo. Scarlet. Mo. Her name's Mo. No, Char <laughs> Char Charlotte. Charlotte. There's Charlotte. I always forget Charlotte's name because I haven't, never met Charlotte. I haven't really been around Charlotte. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the only one of my kids because pandemic stuff, you know? And so... Uh, Jojo, who is just this little cherub face with big blue eyes, and she's got curly blonde ringlets, and she's small for her age, so she's tiny, and she's precocious, and she's just a delightful little child, and she's just the sweetest little thing, and she gets, she has to get glasses now, and like, it's the first time you find out there might be something, like, wrong, not perfect with your kid, you know, so I take her to the optometrist that specializes in kids, and I swear to God, they hooked her up to machines for two hours because when she's three, she can't read yet. She can recognize some letters and numbers. Oh, yeah. And so, so they have to do everything with shapes. And because she's three, not only does she have vision problems, but she may not exactly get everything right on the first try. So, like, they have to do everything multiple times. And my poor, sweet little girl, like a champion, I got a picture of her with her head in the big, like, monstrous thing. And she, for two hours without crying, without complaining, she did every test three times for three different doctors. And I'm sitting there tearing up <laughs> and she's fine. And so we do that. 
So we're dealing with that this week. And Julie, we we brought her home with glasses today. I had to go out this morning and, and pick them up. But then, like, we had another eye problem. So my dad's birthday is coming up. He's 80. Just turned 80. And so we're trying to get all the kids ready to go, ready to get out of the house. This is Sunday morning. We need to leave because it's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Probably going to have to stop to pee. And I'm getting Ellie's hair up in a ponytail. I'm putting her hair up for her, getting her shoes on. I'm sitting in the hallway. Down at the end of the hallway in the bedroom, there's Charlie, my 18-month-old. And she's playing on the floor with something. I say, okay, she's good. Take my eye off her for two seconds to put this ponytail up. All of a sudden, she starts screaming bloody murder and holding her eyes, like with both hands, holding her face. She pulled the plastic tip off of a toy and and accidentally jabbed herself in the eye with it and scraped her eye, and it's bleeding. Oh, my God. And so I had to take her to urgent care and and, and do that. Because, right, like, I guess we're still going to Dad's 80th birthday party or whatever. And we got, like, COVID tested and everything else. We're, like, ready to go. And... So luckily, it wasn't as bad as all that. She's had to have dropped. So we do that. And then that happened. And then I get up this morning, and I realize that this mystery has taken place in my life. I, we're moving to the new studio. This is no secret. I'm having a very stressful week. But we're moving studios to compound all of that and renovating the whole thing. At my house, the back, my bathroom sink stopper broke, and, this, and it was leaking underneath. So I go to Home Depot. My kids love to go to Home Depot because they always like to get a piece of candy at checkout if they're good. And then I always get Julie a Twix because she just likes Twix and she never buys candy. So I buy her a Twix. So in the bag is a universal sink stopper repair kit. Three of these little uh, uh, hazelnut egg things that you can buy and you eat it with a little stick. It's a, it's for, and it comes with a little toy in it. And a king size Twix bar. And that's what I bring home. And whenever I go to Home Depot, it's item I need, three little chocolate eggs and a Twix bar. Okay. So I do this, I come home, I fix the sink, I give everybody their candy, and then I get to the studio this weekend to go paint some. And sitting on the floor in a Tide bag with the receipt inside is a Twix bar, three chocolate eggs, and an unopened sink stopper repair kit. I bought the exact same thing twice and I don't remember doing it. <laughs> like I seriously had one of those moments where, you know, when the camera zooms in and pulls away at the same time, I was like... Right, right. The Hitchcock zoom. The Hitchcock zoom. You you dolly dolly in and zoom out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So here's 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 the scenario. Either I bought things twice and don't remember, and or or somebody's playing a very intense practical joke on me that's making me think we live in a simulation, or three I have developed through the incredible stress, multiple personalities, and other Gary. Didn't know that I had already purchased a sink stopper, a Twix, and three chocolate eggs. That's, I mean, I mean, because it's so specific. That's the thing. These very unique things, and then you just completely forgot that you had purchased them. Yes. So here's the thing. I'm going to go into my bank statement, and I'm going to see the dates because the amount should be the same or really similar. The thing is, I don't want to find out what happened. Like, I was thinking, I actually had the thought I'll go into Home Depot and ask them for their security footage on the date <laughs> of the purchase. Because you'll see me, and I'm just, like, wearing completely different clothes, and I've drawn in a pencil mustache. <laughs> or, like, I'm wearing yes. my hair parted on the other side, like evil yes. Gary is buying yes, Twix some bars. other Gary, some other personality that came in. and Tyler, Ty, Tyler Durgin, or whatever his name yeah, was. Tyler Durgin, yeah. Well, I could have a Tyler Durgin. And so I, I think that... Everybody has bought a gallon of milk or something that they didn't need in the company. Right. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I thought we didn't have milk for whatever reason. I bought the exact same very specific purchase. I had something very 
very similar happened to me this weekend when uh, Bobby and Mackenzie were going to go to the grocery store. They said, do you need anything? And I said, we, cheddar cheese, shredded cheddar cheese. I'm out of shredded cheddar cheese. And Mac, Mackie goes, no, you're not. And I go, yeah, I am. There's no down there, none down there. And she goes to the refrigerator and pulls out nine packages of shredded cheddar cheese. <laughs> <laughs> nine packages. Of sh- she starts throwing them on the counter. Bam, 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 bam. You got to dig a little deeper. <laughs> yeah. You just are not looking. You're seeing, you're doing a very superficial glance. Well, I have like one little tiny area where I keep my stuff in the refrigerator or try to because they, they just destroy the refrigerator. I mean, it's to the point where, like, we have this, uh, we have a refrigerator, a wine refrigerator that doesn't work. It never has worked. And I've never replaced it because I don't want a wine refrigerator. I want a regular refrigerator for sodas. And they don't make one that's the exact size of the cabinet where the wine refrigerator is. That's a real first world problem, but we'll go with it. And I've never bothered to do it. But now I'm thinking about doing it and just saying, this is my refrigerator. No one else goes in this refrigerator because I have like four things. That I need. That's it. I need, I got my eggs. I got my bacon. I got my cheese. I've got some hot dogs. Maybe some egg salad or tuna. And that's all I eat. Meanwhile, our main refrigerator, you can't get into it. It's unbelievably stuffed with. Uh, we have like seven different types of salad dressing. Why do you need seven different types of salad dressing? I never use. Salad I have dressing. one type of salad dressing I use. There's only four people in the family. Why do we have seven different types of salad dressing? There's like six different types of pickles. Yeah. Yeah. It's just too much. And yeah. uh, and and so I thought about buying a new refrigerator just so I could claim it and say this is mine, guys. Just it's nothing but beer, hot dogs, and breakfast food, and everyone please stay out of it. It sounds like the mini fridge in my college apartment. Yes, <laughs> is what it sounds like. Also a little weed. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't. Uh, you don't eat like an adult. You eat like a child. Well, I'm on a diet right now because I'm I'm on the low carb diet. So when I'm on the low carb diet, it's it's I don't eat much very often, and when I do, it's just pound the protein. You know, it's just mm. it's like eggs and and you know, give me a hamburger for dinner, and that's it, and stuff like that. So I don't need I don't need all that stuff. Well, you know what? That is exactly like my mystery: your callousness at not even knowing what's in your own fridge versus me potentially having a severe mental disorder that's causing me to buy things and not remember it. Those are the same. Well, the thing is, here's why I didn't know: because I had told Mackenzie to pick up cheese for me probably twice in the last week, and she had picked it up, but then she didn't put it where the cheese goes. She put it someplace else in the refrigerator, and I'm not even. But that doesn't explain nine packets of cheese. Much like like Indiana Jones, there are shelves on the refrigerator that I'm not even going near. You're like, I'm not going into that shelf. That shelf is too, is dangerous, right? You know, there's like a spike trap in there or some sort of a zombie. I'm not going near that shelf. You can't, because if you just try to move one, it's like a game of Jenga. You can't even move one thing on that shelf to look to see if there's cheese there without the whole thing possibly collapsing. So I just don't even go near it. Just leaning into the fridge, opening the door. Lost in his own museum. <laughs> Marcus Brody. Marcus Brody. <laughs> no time for love, Dr. Jones. All right. <laughs> Here's another mystery. This is a comedic mystery. So I met my parents last night. By the way, Charlie's eye is fine. For those of you who are wondering, we've got the antibiotic eye drops. We we do take good care of our children. Everyone's children get hurt sometimes. So take your judgment. Shove it up your poo hole. Uh, but anyway, not that anybody was judging. I don't know why I said that. Just feeling a little guilty, I guess. I don't know but why anyway. you said poo hole. Poo hole. Yeah, well, I was going to say pie hole, but you can't shove it up your pie hole. Like poo. Oh, <laughs> in the car yesterday, I had to explain to my daughters what a butt crack was because we were driving. <laughs> we were driving ah, through Marion ah, County. The joy of fatherhood. We were driving through Marion County and we took the long way around because I-75. There was a it was bike week and there's a traffic jam and whatever happened. So we're driving through the country. 
and the girls are playing spot the horse, spot the cow, spot the sheep, spot the goat. They're just spot spotting animals. And there was a guy bending over working on his old Ford pickup and his butt crack was hanging out. And they're like, cow, horse. And I'm like, butt crack. And they, and then the whole car gets quiet and Jojo, my three-year-old, goes, daddy, what's a butt crack? <laughs> and, and Julie looks at me. She goes, yeah, honey, what's a butt crack? So we're driving in the minivan and I'm sitting there at the top. Well, you know, it's the... How do you explain butt crack? And so I, you know, listening to me explain butt crack for five minutes was pretty great. And then, uh, then Josie goes, I don't have a butt crack. I was like, honey, yes, 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 you do. And then they, then butt crack became the word of the day. So like on Sesame Street, it's the word of the day. So <laughs> explain this mystery to me. All right. For those of you who know, I was born in England, as were my parents. And uh, we moved to the United States when I was two years old. And I was at my parents' house last night. They've got a nice couple of acres up in North Florida now where they've retired. And they run a little dog business up there. They, they, they board and train animals. And so I'm sitting in the kitchen looking up at the shelf. And you ever go back to your parents' house and you have, like, very, very strong memories associated with knickknacks from around their house when you were a kid? Stuff they still have that they had when yes, you were a kid? Yes, ab- absolutely. They're, they're, you can just one, one or two little things can suddenly spark a whole a wash of memories. Yeah, like my mom has this hideous, gigantic cookie jar in the shape of a swan wearing a blue bow around its neck. And I think it used to be two of them, and we might have broken one. But I'm fairly certain that thing's older than I am. And uh, it's just, I just remember always seeing it in the house, and you see it, and you just fly back through time in your mind. Well, my dad has this plate, and it's a big platter. It's like a stoneware platter. And I've never looked at it really closely before. It's that blue, like, copper engraving on a stoneware plate, and it's got a scene of George Washington crossing the Delaware. And it's a big serving platter, and it's beautiful, and it's up on the high shelf now. And I remember this thing's been in my house my entire life. And so I was talking to my dad, or my mom. I said, Mom, when did you get that? She goes, I don't know. Your father had that before we met. And so I go to Dad. Now, let's rewind. My dad is an Englishman. Right. Why would my dad have a giant piece of flatware with George Washington crossing the Delaware displayed in his house my whole life and before? He brought this thing from England. The family's going around the house and he's like, okay, guys, we can't fit everything on the plane. You know, we can only take so much stuff with us because we're moving to a new country. I want everybody to go grab their favorite thing that they can't live without. And somebody <laughs> grabbed... A plate of George Washington crossing the <laughs> Delaware. From the Franklin Mint. Here's the thing. My mom is now curious. And so she gets it down. And she flips it over. And it was made in England by an English company. And the title was Scenes of the Revolution. All right. Or No, it said Scenes from the Colonies is what it said on, on the back. All right. And so this thing is like 50 years old. Or more. I have no idea how long he's had this thing. But out of all of the worldly possessions my dad decided to immigrate to the United States with, he thought, my, my theory is this, he was looking around the house and he goes, how can we fit in in our new country? <laughs> Put this on the wall. What's the best way for people to just be like, they're cool, mm. you know? We come in peace. Witness, witness our plate. <laughs> <laughs> We're one of... Clearly, we're one of you. Can't you see by the plate on the wall? It were obviously, obviously Americans. Well, I was worried about the uh, people moving in next door, but then I saw that plate. Yeah, I heard some limey scumbags <laughs> were moving in here. Some <laughs> socialists. Put my mind at ease. The George Washington plate. 
I'm also interested in the fact that it was made in England and it was a scene of Washington crossing the Delaware during the Revolutionary War. It would be like if an American company was making plates that were scenes from the Ho Chi Minh Trail. You know, <laughs> you know, like you you lost that war. Why would you want to make commemorative plates? I get it. Yeah. I get it. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the mystery. And my dad just had no answer for it. He just like I don't know. That's very frustrating. I had that with my parents where where I'm like, Dad, what about this thing? And dad he may not even remember that thing, let alone remember, you know, where it comes from or why you have it. It's funny because behind me I have a cabinet over there and I put stuff like that in that cabinet from my that my mom will give me or whatever. I'm like, Oh yeah. And I have in there a plastic Batman and Robin plate that was my plate when I was like two. You know, that was my Aww. plate, and, and I have that plate in there, and I have a, a, a little mug that's a Charlie Brown mug that was, whenever we had hot chocolate, it went into that mug. Any other time you used, well, I don't know what my mom would give us, but these were the hot chocolate mugs, and it was a little tiny mug, had Charlie Brown on it, and there was like a Charlie Brown one, and my, mom, and my sister had a Lucy one, and what makes it especially great is that these mugs came from Avon. They originally weren't mugs. They had something else in them, and then when my mom finished using whatever was in the mug, <laughs> then it became a mug. Right, <laughs> right, right. So the so I totally get it. Was it was facial you know. cream or something. Yeah, something. I don't know, but I totally get it. How these these little things can spark memories in you. Yeah, it was it was it was a wild experience because this is the thing I've looked. I've sat. I remember where it was. It was in the hutch next to the dining room table, prominently displayed in the center under lights. It has been in a place of honor in my home, and now it lives on top of the kitchen cabinet, and nobody knows why it exists. It's the honor stuff that's so funny, because my family, for example, um, it's, I, just, I think it's really funny how people build up things. In my family, a big thing, you go to Thanksgiving, this is when I'm very small in Virginia, you go to my grandmother's house, and you get the cornbread that my grandmother made. Now, this cornbread, not like any other cornbread you've ever had. Not the soft, yellow, fluffy cornbread that we used to get in the school cafeteria in Louisiana. Not that kind of cornbread. Mm, it was no. thinner. It was thicker. And it was more like just really good, sweet, hot bread that was thick. Right? So it was just excellent cornbread. And you could only get it from my grandmother. No one else could make it. And the reason was because my grandmother used these special cornbread pans that she had gotten from her mother. And these pans were the secret. And then... Like 80 years later, when there's a fight over who gets the pans among the grandchildren so they can make the cornbread, it was discovered that there was nothing special all about the pans at all. They just happened to be the pans that were available at the time. And there was absolutely <laughs> nothing special about these pans. And anyone can make this cornbread. And there's nothing special about the cornbread. I was, I was seriously just waiting for you to tell me that she got the, the, like she bought the cornbread at the Sarah Lee store down the street or something. Yeah, well, no. But I mean, my sister was like, you know, she's ready to go to fisticuffs. Not fisticuffs. Because she wants these pans so she can make grandma's cornbread. And it's like, and then I think my, like, this is my great grandmother's cornbread. And then my grandmother, who was still alive at the time, was, was like, well, actually, you don't need those pans. I've made it without those pans all the time. But this whole mythology had risen among the women in my family about these miracle pans for making cornbread. Well, I'm going to think that the magic plate, the, the George Washington yes. crossing the Delaware platter, that it has mystical properties that protect my parents from making sensible decisions. You know what you need to do? 
You need to take that down to the Antique Roadshow and have me value it. Oh, I guarantee you it's worth at least five bucks. You need to do Yeah, you never know. You might take it down and maybe like, this is actually a very rare plate made by a special Paul Revere. No, it's, it's not. Yeah, that's funny because it's not the uh, it's not the platter that's going to be worth money. It's going to be that stupid goose cookie jar. It's <laughs> worth like $10,000. I told him last night, I said, I don't care what it's worth or if it's worth anything. And I know this is morbid, but can you please will me? The George Washington platter. I just, right. if I have nothing else of you, I just want that to remember you guys. I want to have that in my home somewhere. Yeah, we, we were talking about that uh, this weekend, in fact. And, and at my parents' house, uh, there is one end table, uh, kind of a table. It's this round table, multi-tiered table that uh, has always been in my house. They've always been in their house my entire life. We had, they had it refinished at some point, so it's nice now. And uh, and I've and I've said, yeah, of all the stuff in their house, I'd like that table because every living room of my parents' homes, all the homes we ever lived in, always had that table. So I would like to have that table because I, of all the things in my parents' house, what I'd really like is for neither of them to die. Yes, <laughs> that would be probably the best thing. But life goes on. You know, I was supposed to have lunch today with uh, our good friend Kevin Newsom. And uh, I couldn't because everyone in my house seems to be getting sick. It's not COVID. I think it's the oak tree in front of our house is just blown. So the entire front yard is just covered. Just to be on the safe side because Kevin leaves on Saturday to go hike the trail. I've been watching his videos. He just put out a new one yesterday. That's why I wanted to ask you about the new video. I just watched it today. And I'm like, hiking the trail sounds great. And, and, I'm, and I'm all gung-ho. And then he puts out the video where he talks about the little device that he carries on the trail for picking the ticks off of you. And that was when they, that was game over for me. That was it. Hard pass. Hard pass. I'm not. I'm not hiking anything where I got to pick ticks off me. No, I'm not. I'm not doing anything where I have to pick ticks off no. me. I'm. I'm not going to do anything where I have to pick anything off of me. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh no, you're going to love this. You're going to spend a whole lot of time pulling things out of your body that are trying to eat you from the inside. Yeah. But other than that, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, anyway, so Kevin's so he's going to be gone for six months. He's going to be walking for six months, Gary. And he's yeah. and the reason we've been very much in touch lately is because I'm going to help him have a business when he gets back. So I'm going to take his custom. A lot of his clients, he's referred to me, uh, people who like regular headshot clients and stuff like that. And and so now every time if I while that six months is going on, while he if if I get a call from one of these clients. I then have to go, he's going to give me a hard drive. I have to go look at what he's done for that client in the past and try and replicate it because these are headshots. Uh, kind of fun, a lot of work too, but kind of fun. Uh, every time to be like, okay, let me go see what he did. And now I've got to figure out how to light the same way. Yeah, I would say, by the way, if you're listening, um, Kevin Newsom is is one of the most, He I've learned so much from him in my last 15 years of photography. He's been an incredible mentor, a great friend, and he's an incredibly good nice human being and great photographer and he has started this journey he's wanted many years to hike the Appalachian Trail and he is finally going he was all set to go pre-COVID and so he's done a couple of what they call shakedown hikes where he's going to go test it out for a few days at a time now he's getting ready for the big one follow him on YouTube his YouTube videos are he's just got such a great I know he I just always lo- have always loved listening to him talk and tell stories and YouTube is such yes. a natural fit for and he's him. funny and he's genuinely funny. He's genuinely kind-hearted, and not only that, incredibly thoughtful. And he thinks out everything, how and his thought process on picking all his gear. And even if you're not interested in hiking, which I am not even a little bit, me neither. But it's still fascinating. He's just a fascinating guy to watch. It's Kevin Newsom uh, on uh, on YouTube, and you'll find him. He's uh, he's the small, bespectacled, gray-headed man uh, who's going to be hiking 
and uh, risking his life out there with the ticks and the bears, and he thinks it's awesome, which yeah. I find very endearing yeah. and completely disagree with. But I- well, what I thought what I found most interesting about the last couple of videos he did is that now, the big quandary, and this is trying to figure out his toothpaste, because on the trail, you don't want to spit out your toothpaste. You're supposed to leave it how you found it. I mean, and they are, this this is how much they are about the leave it how you found it. Not even spit out a mouthful of toothpaste on the trail. I'm like, wow. I mean, you guys are really, I mean, I get the no litter and, and <laughs> I get all that. But they're like, no, not even your toothpaste. You know, and when you have to yeah. use the bathroom, you dig a hole, you know, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think Kevin's even talking about some people and he may be doing it. They, um, if they have to go number two, they take it off the trail with them. They put it in a baggie. Yeah, hard pass on that. Yeah, yeah no thanks. Yeah, uh-uh. that's that and the ticks. If it, if there were no ticks, that would. If you had to take your poop with you, right? Eh, you know where I don't have to take my poop? The Marriott World Resort. I go. don't have to take my poop anywhere. Yeah, check out Kevin Newsom. He's a great photographer and a great friend, and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch over the next six months as he occasionally gets to internet and can make a video. But uh, yeah, he's uh, if you if you're interested at all in that or just want to see a good dude who is uh, past his prime, taking on something big and kicking its ass. He's going to be a really great watch to watch him do his thing. Now, you say he's past his prime? I would say that he could probably have gotten up to shape easier when he was 22, but he's 60-something. He's past his prime, but he's not past my prime. No. (laughs) Kevin Kevin is is a good shape, is in better shape now than I was when I was 22. (laughs) Oh, no, he's he's got ropey muscles and abs, and I'm pretty sure... Even though I probably got 50 pounds on him, he could probably hand me my butt, you know? Oh, I know. Fight. I would not want to go against... Uh, the, I wouldn't fight you know, him. He's scrappy. No. He's like a ferret. He would take you out, dude. He's past his prime, correct. My prime? No, no. He's yeah. pat- no. He has. He's nowhere near past my prime, especially since I'm pretty sure I could sit still for 18 hours and watch Netflix. I had an uh, interesting problem uh, this week because I was shooting a lot with the uh, Viltrox 55mm 1.4. Yes. I got that lens. I made a video about it. Go to check out my YouTube channel. I made a whole video about uh, my evaluation on this uh, 1.4. And one of the problems that I ran into was that if you're trying to shoot in studio at 1.4 and the lowest ISO on a Fuji camera is 160. Yeah, getting your light low enough. I couldn't get, I couldn't get my background light low enough. My background light would not go low enough. I had, if I wanted to put a colored, like a, a, if I just wanted to put a background light to blow out a little bit of paper or whatever, I couldn't get it low enough. So what I had to do was put a neutral density filter on this lens in order to use it. And you I mean, like I told you to do two weeks ago. Did you tell me two weeks ago? Did I did tell you to do that two weeks ago. Well, yeah, but I, why did I, and did I say I wasn't going to do it? I know. Well, you did. You did kind of roll your eyes and refer to the neutral density filter as if it was a pain in the butt. Well, it is. is. But, but I mean, come on. When you think about needing a neutral density filter, you don't think about needing it for your dark studio. No. Right. You think about neutral density filter as something you need when it's a bright day and you're trying to do a 20 second time lapse. Yeah. ISO 200 at 1.4. That's like more light gathering capability than the human eye. Like that's like that's crazy. Right. So I had to do that. So now. I'm realizing that uh, I was doing a headshot um, yesterday, and I was at 2.8 on my uh, 2470 equivalent, uh, 1855, 1655. And I was having a problem then, too. I I had my background light all the way as low as it would go. And so then I'm like, well, I've either got to get a neutral density filter for 
my other lens as well, or buy some neutral density gels to put over the background light. You can also get a universal box that they use for cinematography and filmmaking. It's just like a little thing that goes over that has a slide-in neutral density filter. Right, I have that. It doesn't have the filter, but I have the box. Yeah, all you need is one of those. Yeah, but so, so now I have to decide, because it's really just the background light that's a problem. So now I have to decide, do I want to get a neutral density filter, which just drops everything down, and now I can do it? Or do I just want to get a filter for that particular light for 12 bucks, and then I'm okay? Or. 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 Or I could get a full-frame camera and, and, sh- and shoot at ISO 100. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Like, by the, you're adding up all the little things you have to do to compensate for it. You might as well have just got the R6. I'm just saying. I get, I get it. It's, it's true. I could buy a $12 filter or I could spend another $3,000 on that camera and solve my problem. Those are the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Yeah, but it was, just, it was just, I was like, oh, my goodness. It got two-thirds of a stop because of the ISO. And then you're going another stop or more open because you're using a crop sensor. And now you're looking at, you know, almost two full stops or maybe more of light that you're gathering into the camera. And your, your studio strobes aren't going to go that low. You could also not shoot at 1.4 in the studio. That's true. I don't like to shoot 1.4 anyway. One of the things I discovered shooting with the Viltrox, and again, all of my review on YouTube, is that uh, 1.4 is just too shallow. You're going to lose one of the eyes anyway. Yeah. So uh, especially with a yeah, 85 millimeter equivalent lens. Uh, so really 2.0, I want to go on 2.0 or 2.8, I think it's fine. Because I usually, I shoot 4.0, I, I shoot headshots at 4.0 before. Yeah, 4.0 is solid, especially on an APS-C sensor, um, you know, for for a headshot, you get eyes in the mask of the face in focus, but the ears and fall off nicely. Yeah, 4.0 works too, uh, but my problem is when you're using a paper background and you're throwing a spot on it, it can be so easy to get that texture in that background that you don't want if you're close enough to yeah, it, yeah. you know I don't have the biggest studio so I really want to get that that uh, depth of field as shallow as I can so that background really goes nice and, and and blurry if I can get it well you know what I think we're all going to be waiting on the edge of our seat so keep us up to date on this saga are you making fun of me no I'm not <laughs> I'm actually talking about photography stuff there are people right now who are very interested in this so there are people who finally have tuned in because they're like oh they're talking about photography not as interesting as Kevin and his ticks on the trail but certainly I agree I don't think photography is as interesting as Kevin <laughs> and his ticks but we do have to do the news at some point we do have to do the news it is time for photography news photography, photography news, news. All right, I'm going to let you just uh, lead off on the news since I apparently am just horrible at keeping people entertained. <laughs> You're so tender. Such a tender man. I love Listen, I started way. crying at a Beatles song uh, yesterday. The Long and Winding Road. No, no. But this happens to you, I bet, a little bit too because you have daughters now. Yes. And that's songs that you knew and you loved, but then you hear them now differently. And oh, I'm driving, yeah. and I'm listening to She's Leaving Home by the Beatles. Oh, shiza. And there's the line where she says, uh, you know, father snores as his wife gets into his dressing into her dressing gown, picks up the letter that's lying there, standing alone at the top of the stairs. She breaks down and calls to her husband, Daddy, our baby's gone. And I'm like, oh! <laughs> That's on Sergeant Pepper, isn't it? Yeah, it's from Sergeant Pepper. Pepper. And I was just like, oh! I mean, even when I was younger and I heard that I got it, but now I really get it. You know, I can't imagine waking up and there's a letter from your daughter and she's like, I'm gone. A song that uh, does not affect me are the pandering ones about fatherhood, like Butterfly Kisses. 
You know, or maybe it's just too many weddings in the nineties. Mm. Like, yeah, maybe not so much. I know that I met that guy by the way. That guy came to my that guy came to my studio and played that song live. Bob Carlisle. Uh, so I've actually he played it for me live. Oh, all when you were in radio? Yeah, yeah. Butterfly kisses after bedtime <laughs> prayer. Like, yeah, come on, get out of here. Get out of here. Like, you wrote that song, and in the whole time you're writing it, you're like, this is going to be at every wedding yeah. for the next 20 <laughs> years. Thanks a lot, Bob Carlisle, for making me listen to that, all the weddings I worked. Now, on to the news. Adobe Photoshop ships on M1 Max with Apple silicone, improving performance and speed. Long story short... Apple came out with a new processor for its computers. It's been making them in its mobile devices for a long time. Uh, don't doesn't matter whether you're an Android person or an Apple person. Apple's silicon in their mobile devices are the best performing in any mobile device. They just make really good stuff. They've been buying their processors from IBM and Intel and Motorola way back before that for many years. They finally have taken the process that they have been road testing, load testing on their mobile devices for the last 10 or 12 years and started putting it in their computers, effectively cutting out the third-party processors. And wowza, all reports say this M1 processor are amazing. Good examples of this. Just look, Google Apple M1 on YouTube. Google it on YouTube. That doesn't make any sense. Look it up on YouTube. I just use Google as a verb, not even talking about Google itself. Um, and you can watch videos of people taking a $700 Mac Mini, the least expensive M1 Mac you can get, and loading in 8K raw video and editing it like it's nothing and the computer's fan doesn't even turn on. They are incredibly powerful, energy efficient, and they are changing the game and pushing the envelope for every other manufacturer of processors to get their life together. Problem being, they speak a kind of a different native language for a lot of third-party software, including Adobe Photoshop. Now, Photoshop has uh, been operating on these M1 Macs on a Rosetta software which is basically it translates it so although it is fast but it's not as fast as it would be if it was native now photoshop the program that we all use know and love running on m1 processors natively with the latest version and that is only a good thing for us so i know that i've been waiting on that and i'll be waiting on a couple other pieces of soft peaches of software pieces of software to come native on these m1 processors before i get one because i just you know, it just takes a little time to work the bugs out, but I think it's going to be uh, it's it's a it's a game changer. These new processors, like oh, Apple users, rejoice! We finally have computers worth bragging about again, and <laughs> not just because they look nice. Speaking of Adobe Photoshop, um, have you been reading about this super resolution? They just released a new update, and there's a new uh, deal in there called Super Resolution. And everything I've read about it, I haven't actually tried it yet, but everything I've read about it says it's amazing uh, that you can upsize. An image, and it doesn't matter if it's a raw file, can be a raw file, or it can be a JPEG, or it can be a TIFF, or it can be, um, you know, one of the other things it can be. And you can upsize it. Um, you can upsize it using this super resolution. And they say that if anything, it's actually sharper. What I read about it says essentially you're just, you can take a lower megapixel image, for example, off of a phone, off of a, off of a, a low megapixel camera. And it uses AI to make the native resolution a whole lot bigger for larger prints. So, Well, all they talk about is larger prints. But what I'm curious about is, and what I want to test it with, is, you know, what happens if you instead use it so you can crop? 
Yeah. Right? You're shooting events and so forth, and you're like, oh, this big wide picture, but right over here in the corner, this is actually the cool picture, the cool part of the picture, but I'll have to crop away two-thirds of this picture, and then I won't. It'll, it'll be too small to print in an album or what have you. Well, what if you crop it and then you put the super resolution on it? Or you put the super resolution on it and upsizing and then you crop it. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's got some fascinating uses. I'm, I'm going to have to make sure I'm up to date and try this out myself because that is an extremely practical use. Like if you've got an image where, you know, part of it is what you really want, yeah. you need to make it bigger in an album or the client wants to order a print of it and it's not quite, you know, you're not quite comfortable blowing it, that, blowing it up to a 40 by 60. It actually sounds like a pretty excellent application. Yeah, and I mean, look, and when you look at older images, especially, or you look at, and you know, let's talk about cell phones. You yeah. know, talk about cell phones, right? And and now, so you can take a shot with your cell phone and upsize that to forty megabit megapixels. Yeah, you could take your your eight megapixel, you know, interior camera iPhone image and turn it into a thirty two megapixel file. You can take a Fuji GFX one hundred S, their new medium format, which shoots a one hundred and two megapixel file, and you can upsize it to four hundred megapixels. That sounds like it would take a lot of time of processing power, but yeah, fascinating idea. 400 megapixels. So I, I don't have a lot of situations where I've needed to do that, but um, the cropping thing comes in, I, I think might be interesting. And also there might be a couple of situations where if you're a person who competes, right, and everything needs to be 4,000 on the side, and maybe you've got this picture that's really old, Maybe you got a picture that you shot many, many years ago when you were just starting out, and it's a you know twelve megapixel file, and you need to be four thousand by four thousand for a competition, and maybe this is your answer. Or, or maybe you've got an image you want to crop severely in on, and but you want to make the print to look astounding. That my mind immediately went to how is this going to affect print quality? So I want to take two images, and I want to like run one image and run it through, and I want to print them both at the same size without cropping. Let the let the printer software right. do the resizing, and I want to see what the results look like because it's supposed to help even with artifacting, noise, and sharpness, and all kinds of stuff. So it, apparently, it's supposed to be great. I, I'm excited to try it. And you can do that because you've got that big monster Canon printer. I do. It's uh, sitting right behind me. I haven't named it yet. I got to think of a good name for it. It's just a printer. No, I have to name the printer. No, it's right. not just a printer. It is an Image ProGraph Pro 2100, although I'm only supposed to call it the Canon Pro Series 2100, but I like to say the whole name. Okay, well, get on that and get back to us with a report. Okay, I'll, I was going to let you name it. You don't want to honor, honor it with a name? Uh, Charlotte. I have one of those. Yes, but this way I might, I might be able to remember it. <laughs> oh, if I name this after one of my kids and yes. not the other two, I will be bringing yeah. certain hell upon myself for no reason. Oh yeah. Well, na na name it after the middle. Name it after the one who's getting the glasses. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Josie got glasses, and Ellie went with her. Big sister wanted to support her getting her glasses, and so now Ellie's mad that she doesn't have glasses. And I'm ah, sitting here. She's been flipped. I'm sitting here trying to explain to Ellie that her eyes are perfect and that she doesn't need glasses and that glasses aren't fun while her little sister's running <laughs> exactly, around going, exactly. wee, I got glasses, pretty pink glasses, no, glasses, sweetie, glasses. You don't want glasses. You don't want glasses. People are going to call her names. They're going to make fun of her. Not really. Not really. It's, you're going to be fine. You're going to make fun of her. They're going to call her four eyes. It's going to be a pain. She's not ever going to find a husband. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. No, I'm just, you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was my morning. That was today. I was simultaneously trying to sh tell one girl how beautiful she was, how great the glasses were, 
while telling the other one they're bad, you don't want them at the same exact time in the car together. So that was uh, that was great. And the best part is that now with the glasses, when she gets older, she can be either a librarian or a supermodel simply by removing the glasses. I was going more for a superhero, you know, like secret identity thing. But yeah, sure, sure. All right. In Nikon news, we are still waiting for the official specs on the Nikon Z9. Which Can I just jump in here for a second and say that we, we talked about the news story that the Nikon was being teased, this new model. Right. And literally like eight hours after we recorded the podcast, they made the official development. Yes, but they still, haven't, they still have not posted the official specs. Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. We're still just looking at rumors. Uh, sensors from 45 megapixels to 60 megapixels. I'll have a 60 megapixel vision. 20 frames per second. Once again, for those of you who are basically just want to take a movie, 20 frames per second through a blackout-free EVF like the Sony mm. Alpha 1, the Alpha 9 series, a 16-bit RAW option, a new user interface, improved noise level and better dynamic range. Um, they say it's going to be tested at the Tokyo Olympics and they expect it to be released in the fall of 2021. Right along with that story comes the story that if you want one of these cameras, good luck, because they are saying already that they think that uh, demand is going to outstrip supply right off the bat, that no Nikon camera gets made that is more than 10,000 units in the first batch. I thought that was a low number, 10,000, right? It seems like, especially since 9,000 of them will be going to the Olympics. Yeah, they say it's like 10,000 units usually in the first batch. And with Nikon's financial troubles, you can expect that they're not going to go crazy and be like, let's put every, let's release a bunch of them because they're afraid they'll get stuck with some inventory. So they said people are already going to the local camera stores and putting in advance orders for the Z9. That they don't even know what it is yet. Yeah, they don't even know what it is yet. So if you are a Nikon user and you can do that um, without a deposit, or something along those lines, you might want to think about doing that if it's if it's something you're definitely interested in getting. And even then, you might not be able to get it until next year. Just put the deposit down. Give them 500 bucks to hold it. You're going to buy a camera. Just Maybe you just instead get the Z7 II if you don't like what comes out with the Z9. Like Just, yeah, hold it now because you're going to want to. Uh, but that's, you know what, I, I, I feel for Nikon. I hope this camera kicks butt. I hope that it's so popular that it's sold out for ages. And that it brings them a lot of, uh, rejuvenates the company. I love that. I love them in the game, putting out good tech um, so that I can watch Canon destroy it then later on. No, just kidding. Uh, but like every camera company that puts out a revolutionary new camera is forcing the others to do it too. And I love that. And so the more camera companies we have competing like that, the more everybody wins. And you're going to have the best choice from the best cameras from some really great manufacturers. And I'll just still be, still be using Canon. Because they just they seem got? to be doing a good job. Uh, I got plenty. Did you see this drone video that's going around the internet? Oh, my God. The, uh, the bowling yeah. alley? Yes. This mind-blowing drone video is the most impressive video I've ever seen. It does not dis- It's like the Grand Canyon. It does not disappoint. Like, I saw, the, I saw a couple of things. Oh, you know, bowling alley drone video. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then today, you were like, you really you do need to watch that video. And I was like, okay. And then I watched it, and it was worth every single second of watching this video. Well, I expect you to be negative about anything I suggest, and then you'll get back to me in your own time. I'll be like, hey, Bure, you should do this. You'll be like, no, I'm not gonna. And then next time I see you, you'll be like, hey, I did that thing. You were right. It was cool. Yes. Like, I'm totally fine with the negativity. To be- I'm just used to you now. Um, shot by Jay Christensen and directed by Anthony Jaska for Sky Candy Studios in Minneapolis. This video was shot at Bryant Lake Bowling Theater, a bowling alley, cabaret theater, restaurant, and bar in Minneapolis. 
And so um, it's it's just an amazing one-shot drone drone video. And if you haven't seen it, I'll put a link to it on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash photobombpodcast. It is just some really great timing, precision drone flying, really, really neat little story. They got some homages to the Big Lebowski in there at, at least two different times. And I'm pretty sure at the end they smashed the whole drone. So this might have been a one shot. One chance at it. I'm not really sure, but they flew the drone into the bowling pins at the end of the shot, and uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure that might have caused some damage. The timing is what gets me, because it's not just that they flew it in and did the thing, but you can tell they coordinated with everybody there, so that you know this person's throwing the ball at just the right time for the drone to come in behind it, etc. Cetera, et cetera. How many times did they have to do it? The shot in Goodfellas, where the, with the it's the famous Copacabana shot. Uh, in right, Goodfellas, yeah. where they're going into the Copacabana, they go in the back door through the kitchen, they get a table, they go out to the floor, and there's Henny Youngman on the stage, and it's one continuous shot that Scorsese did. And they said that he spent something over a week, might have been two weeks, just to get that one shot. And then when you look at this drone footage, you just think, how much time, how long did it take to get this thing? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, uh, except it was probably easier than when Scorsese did it. That's all that. <laughs> <laughs> because because he didn't have to have any, you know, union cameramen uh, taking breaks. He didn't have any tracking on the floor. He didn't have Ray Liotta pitching a fit over in the corner. You know, he. but at the same time, uh, I still think it's impressive. I, I wonder if it was an FPV drone. It seems like that per- kind of precision flying out of the field of view of the pilot, you would have to have a first-person view helmet on for that. It says, okay, here it says, the entire thing took about five practice runs and 10 overall takes to make adjustments after about a day of scouting and planning the drone's route through the building. Wow. Despite the 15 total flights, the only time Christensen ever crashed was the intentional crash at the very end. And so basically, he flew it, and once he knew he got the take, he crashed it into the bowling pins because he knew he got the take. Well, and was it flown live? Because I would think that you would you would fly it and like record the route and then just the the you can't do that where the drone then just flies a pre-programmed route. Uh, that I do. I'm sure that that it's possible, but I, I don't think it could have with that level of precision indoors in a bowling alley. I don't know. I'm going to look into it a little bit more, but that would be my guess. But in order to fly through those narrow spaces, like it goes into the back, goes between a guy's legs. Yeah, the utility corridor. It to me, it really it really looks like FPV drone flying. Um, And it's just very, very cool, very creative. Kudos to Jay Christensen, the operator and the director, Anthony Jaska. I just think that's so, so, so stinking cool. I did want to note that at first glance, my first thought was because I have a drone is why isn't that drone making any noise? Because it's got a lot of ambient sound and you hear chatter as it goes by people. Then I realized the second thing I realized was that the sound design was done in post-production. All of the voices, all of the music, the ambient sounds of the bowling alley. All that stuff had to be added in post-production because there's no way they could have gotten any audio off of that drone. First of all, most drones don't record audio at all. And second, if you did have audio off that drone, it would sound like this. Because, you know, however, I, that my guess is, fairly educated guess would be that it was a lot of really clever sound design with a lot of sounds, voices and stuff added in post-production. And I just think it's very cleverly done and Gosh, if I'd have made anything half that cool, I'd have been so proud I wouldn't have been able to stand myself. And uh, this is the last thing I have, which I just thought was interesting, is that Twitter is testing full-size images in their feeds, both on, on iOS and on Android. So if you, know, if you put a picture on Twitter, 
then the picture usually gets cut off. You know, it's going to be, you know, for many times we'll get cut off in the feed. And Twitter is testing the idea that if you put a picture in your Twitter feed that people see the picture full size. I mean, it's still going to be, you know, shrunk down to fit on the screen. But if you put a vertical image in on Twitter, it will appear as a vertical image in the feed. And while this is cool for photographers, um, you know, I, I, I do kind of miss the days when every social media thing was unique and only did certain things. Yeah. You know, and now it's like every media platform has to be able to do everything that every media platform can do. So it doesn't matter which one you're on and you're going to have videos like TikTok. You're going to have stories like like Instagram or, well, Instagram stole it from, uh, what's the, what was the app? Snapchat. From Snapchat, right? So you're going to have the Snapchat pictures. You're going to have the TikTok instant videos. You're going to have live streaming like Facebook. You're going to have, you know, pictures like Facebook. on, And it's like they're all just blending together now. And it was more fun when every one of them was unique. It's conducive to people using multiple platforms. Yeah, like I, I like that to this day, Instagram still won't let you put a picture on your Instagram feed from your computer. Right. Yeah, you have to use your mobile device. You have to use your phone. And I, and I like that. I'm like, yes, stick to it, Instagram. That's the purity of Instagram is that it was designed for you putting pictures from your phone. But you know that's not going to hold. No, it doesn't hold because people use third-party uh, scheduling software. And eventually, and eventually Instagram will just let you do it. Yeah, and they used to have – they. I mean, they had the rule where you couldn't post anything into stories that was more than 24 hours old and the phone was kept on your date. So you just pull up the photo on your phone, screenshot it, and then post the screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that. Yeah, and of course, Twitter, of course, used to be half as many characters. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is interesting. Nobody really knows where it's all going with social media, but I do miss the pithiness of the one word, one sentence on Twitter. And you know, if you had different functions for each one, you have no, you know, you have incentive for people to use multiple platforms. But basically, they all of the different social media platforms all want you to use their platform primarily. And so they're all just kind of adding all these functions. And, you know, when Twitter bought Periscope and then you could go live on Twitter all of a sudden and, you know, Instagram added live and IGTV and now trying to challenge YouTube. And but for some reason, it's vertical. You know, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it's it, it it is what it is. Eventually, people settle into their platform, and when at some point in your development, you just stop accepting new social media platforms. Like how I'll never, probably ever, really genuinely use Clubhouse. Right. <laughs> like I, I tried. I'm full. Sorry. Full up. Yep. My dance card is all full on that one. Um, I have one quick story to follow up with and this is on the canon are one kind of rumors this story basically says that according to uh reliable sources that the eos r1 which we posit we theorize both of us together equally as a podcast as partners we both completely agree that it'll probably be called the 1r and not the r1 but ray and i agree with that 100 percent equally without any dissent between the two of us that it'll probably be called the one R, not the R one, right, Boo? Yes. Moving on. Yes. Okay. Then the the, uh, the rumors say that there is a big camera announcement coming, a new camera coming in 2021, but it is not going to be the R one, which is actually going to be known as the one R. It is going to be a different camera, and the R one, which was probably really going to be known as the one R, is going to be out in the early 2022. So the rumor says that we won't actually, nobody will get their hands on it or really see or be able to buy this new flagship Canon until 2022. But there will be 
another exciting camera coming in the meantime. Now, this could be a higher-res version of the R5. I don't know whether it's a, a super cinema camera or whatever it is, but I think that if that's true, that's a little bit disappointing. So more than likely, there will be an official development announcement of this flagship Canon called the R1, which is really called the 1R. And I got to stop doing that. Now I'm confused as to what I'm talking about. And so if we don't actually, anybody gets their hands on until 2022, is that kind of a bummer or does nobody care because we're all getting vaccinated? We'll be able to go to a bar now. I don't think anybody cares because the uh, R5 and the R6 are still so new. Hmm. But this is really a, a camera that's specifically designed at a subset of photographers. You are either a photojournalist, a sports or wildlife photographer, or you are a devotee to the one series. And there are a subset of wedding and portrait shooters that are hard devotees to the Canon one series cameras. And, and you know, like Vanessa Joy, I know is a big fan. My friends, Jen and Travis, they're big one series shooters. Um, I have plenty of friends and, and colleagues who are like, no, no, I only use the one series Canon cameras because they're whatever. Yeah. I remember when I was first, you know, deciding what I was going to get, you know, when I went to the 5d was looking at the guys who were, who were really great photographers and they were one shooters, but I was just like, man, that camera is so huge. It's just a brick. Yeah, it is. It is. It is going to be mess. Well, that Nikon Z9 has the built-in battery grip apparently. So the, the, the big ones, they're, they're going to be big. These aren't the camera that you buy. If you're looking to save weight, this is the camera you're looking to buy. If you want to travel through time that takes pictures so fast that it, causes the earth to rotate in the opposite direction a la Superman 2 and rewinds time and you rescue Lois Lane from the Grand Canyon or whatever or the Hoover Dam or wherever it was she died and uh, that's that's the kind of camera this is it's not you're not so much worried about saving 42 grams on a battery grip Photobomb is written and produced by Blu-ray Perry and Gary Hughes and our editor is Daniel Munoz you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash photobombpodcast. You can find our website at photobombpodcast.com. Gary's website is hughesfioretti.com. It is. My website is burayperry.com. And you can email us, questions at photobombpodcast.com. We'll see you back here next week. And don't forget to email me if you know where the heck those shirts were coming from. 